Hello and welcome to Dopey, a dumb podcast about drug stories and other such things. I'm Dave. And I'm Chris. And um, we are both in recovery. (laughs) (laughs) We might be doing a totally irresponsible thing. Of what? Of glorifying past drug experiences. Yeah, but we're in recovery, so it's okay. Is that right? Can I even say we are recovered? You're not recovered. There's no such thing. (laughs) Not according to Bill and Bob. Let me tell you something. You are not recovered. (laughs) There might be such a thing as recovered, but you are not it. I might be it. (laughs) I have too much to live for. All right. Too much. Before we get into Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit, I want to say that this episode is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, and Silver Lake. Aloe really does a nice job with drug addicts in recovery. If you're fucked, you should go to Aloe. They have an amazing program developed by our friend Bob Forrest, the co-founder of the Aloe House, using his unique philosophy, which really shouldn't be unique. His philosophy is that addicts are humans and that humans deserve respect. And if you're an addict and you want to get treated with respect, you should go to his facility. I think that makes a lot of sense. They have crazy amenities, including surfing, horseback riding, sweat lodges, sound bath meditation, and of course, equine therapy. I don't know about you guys. I've been in a sweat lodge. It was incredibly therapeutic. Their staff has a combined 675 years of experience treating addiction and mental health problems. I have a friend who's there, and he says everything I say is true. So again, uh, the slogan I've made up for Aloe is, if you're an addict and you're fucked and you need help and you want to go to California, go to Aloe. Before we get into the show, this this episode is also brought to you by our friends at Just Coffee. And um, I found out last week I fucked up and I said justcoffee.com, but it's not justcoffee.com. It's justcoffee.coop. And I have to say that... Um, I went to work incredibly early this morning, and on my way to work, I stopped by my dad's, and I used the Super Dark Roast. It was called the Maya Super Dark Roast, and it was delicious. So I've had the Humdinger, the Ariba, and the Maya, and they're all really good. So if you guys want to support the show, you go to justcoffee.coop, you enter the code DOPEYPOD, and you will get a discount. So do that. Support the show. I've seen a bunch of people on Facebook that bought the coffee. It's good for the show if you buy the coffee, and the coffee's really good, and the packaging is super slick, and they support social justice. So go to justcoffee.coop and support the show. And here's the show.
So hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave. And uh, it's very exciting for me. I have a, a guy on the phone who I've uh, admired for a long time. He was a columnist for the Daily News, gossip columnist. He was a regular on my favorite radio show, The Howard Stern Show. He's, he hosted an amazing show on E! Uh, Mysteries and Scandals. And now he does a podcast called Fame. Why isn't it called Ain't It a Bitch? It's AJ Benz. Oh, hey man, thanks for thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I know we tried for a while. You know, we, I, when, I, when I first linked up with my buddy Mike Agavino to start the podcast, um, he was just concerned about the, the, the E or somebody coming after us and saying, "Hey, that's our phrase." But I tried to convince him. I came up with the phrase. But he just felt like, why even start off with a problem? Let's just make it fame is a bitch. And I said, ah, whatever, who cares? So I don't really care. Ain't is, yeah. it means the same thing. You know? Do you think E would have done that kind of thing? Well, E has done a lot of dicky things over the years, including uh, rebooting. Well, they didn't reboot Mysteries and Scandals, but the Oxygen Channel did. They're, owned, they're both owned by the same company, Comcast. And um, when they did the reboot with Sullivan O'Brien hosting it, it just, it sucked. And they, I, I wish they would have, somebody would have come to me and say, you know, we had a really good run with AJ hosting this. It was basically, he's linked to the show forever. And why don't we do it again with him? But they were too stupid to think that way. And I talked to one of the executives and she said to me, no, you know, oxygen skews female and we're not going to do the old movie stars. And, I took a look at a couple of the episodes, and they were like, she was right. They really did a shitty job in talking about newer celebrities, which, I mean, they, they did an awful job. They had they, they, they showed the back of people's heads because they used lookalikes that didn't look anything like them. Just an awful show that lasted about six episodes, and it's gone. Well, the reason, the reason your show was so good, though, is because you obviously had crazy personal passion, number one. Mm-hmm. You, you had a way about you, which... Which created the noir feeling. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it really like if if a show ever fit a person on the show, it was that show with you because you believed it. You felt like you were one of these old school reporters out in the field, you know, collecting this information like it was uh, L.A. Yeah, Confidential yeah. or something. Well, it, it worked obviously because they took a guy from New York, fish out of water, hard boiled reporter, put me in L.A. for the first time. I didn't know much about L.A., so I had an attitude about it. And, um, yeah, I, I put myself in $2,000 suits from Barney's, and I walked around, and we, we stole the lighting and the, uh, the fog and the wet streets from, uh, um, you know, the show of Robert Stack. I mean, what, what the hell? What did, what did he host? You know, the, the, I know what you're Robert talking Stack. about, but I don't you know, know what this show is. Something yeah. with mysteries. I feel it's a great show. Anyhow, it's kind of, that's coming back as well. But yeah, so we stole the look, and you can't lose. I, I, was, uh, I was talking about the biggest stars of our time, so it was always going to be interesting whoever hosted it but I think I definitely gave it the noir feeling that um, that that made it better than other shows that have tried to do the same thing right on and, and you and you studied journalism did you know like when did you decide that you were going to get into gossip it seemed like uh, it seemed like you're so into it. into it yeah I did I was a sports writer and I just gotten divorced from my first wife had a little money in the bank so I started going to Manhattan going into nightclubs I was 31 and I started to see a lot of crazy shit go down and you know I it had a weird quirk of 
Rourke's fate, I began to hang out with Mickey Rourke completely by accident because we both couldn't get into one party one night. And uh, we went to a nightclub downtown, and um, I saw things that night that I'd been a married guy with a wife and in-laws watching the Cosby show with crumb cake. You know, I was very regular putting in bathrooms and going to Home Depot every weekend. And suddenly I'm involved with these movie stars and models and and the mafiosa came around me because I'm the Italian guy on the street and, 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 and journalism. So Linda Stacy, who was a gossip columnist back then for Inside New York, uh, and I was working for, I'm sorry, Inside News, Inside New York column for New York Newsday. And I was working as a sports writer for Newsday part-time. And I sent her a couple of tips, a couple of stories I saw. And um, she liked them. And she said, you know, why don't you go out every weekend for me and I'll give you 50 bucks a story. I said, yeah, great. And then with, because I was just lucky, within three months or so, Mort Zuckerman bought the New York Daily News and he wanted Linda Stacy's column to be in it. And Linda said, I'll do it, but I want to take this kid, AJ, with me because he's my legs and he goes out every night. And Mort said, okay. So before you know it, I'm instantly full-time at the New York Daily News with Linda Stacy in a big office. And I had the keys to the city. And yeah. it was just on from there. So I have a bunch of questions. I mean, mm-hmm. because this is a show about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit, I would love to hear some fucking firsthand debauchery from those days. But, yeah. but before we get there, the, the real question I have is like where does the line get drawn where you're friends with Mickey Rourke where you're you know you are an Italian guy from Brooklyn and Long Island and you're and you're rubbing shoulders with these wise guy types they want you to keep most of the time in situations like this they expect you to keep your mouth shut no yeah and I did for a long time you have to learn quickly I didn't you know you're never you're never ready for the job you get you're always underqualified I was completely underqualified when I sat in the office and she would tell me to call call Howard Rubenstein Associates and get some story on this local teamster strike down by the plaza and I would like I didn't know what the fuck that meant right. teamster who's Howard Rubenstein like I had to learn that whole thing the world of PR and crisis managers but I knew being out on the street with people I just knew how to act with street people and, and, and actors and you know mafia I just knew those guys growing up and the, the actors when they did things that I that they didn't want printed I wouldn't print them and I started to gain a lot of their trust and then little by little you keep a few secrets but you see things that you've got to write uh, that aren't about them and they come to you with favors, you know, you, you, you barter with them. Listen, I, I, I'm not going to write that story about you guys trashing that band from, but give me something on something. What the fuck's going on with so-and-so? And they'll give you a story. So that's the way it went constantly. Just on and on, quid pro quo, bartering. Um, and I was comfortable with that. But there comes a point where you've got to write the story that's staring you in the face. And most celebrities get it. And they... They know it's a professional sort of thing. And if it's true, they don't fight you on it. And in 30, almost 30 years of doing this, knock wood, I've not been sued. I've been threatened a couple of times, but most famously by Robert Downey when he was at the height of his addiction. And I was right with what I reported, but everybody in the country thought I lied and his, his people came after me. And What was that story specifically? 
Well, Robert, I went to the Oscars in 1995 or six. I think it was 96. And uh, he, at that point, had been through the mill with drugs. He was waking up in people's houses, you know, yeah. uh, that, that whole phase. And I went to the Mondrian for a party, an Oscar party, and I saw him. Now, he was man. He was supposed to be out of state in, uh, I think, South Carolina working on a movie, and he could not leave and come to L.A. But I saw him at the Montreal Sky Bar, all fucked up. I knew what he was wearing. I saw his black nail polish. He was just a complete mess, and I wrote it. And everybody came down on me. He was in L.A. And so the news, the news was nuts. AJ, are you sure? Were you loaded? I said, well, I was drinking, but I know where Robert Downey looks like. I was 10 feet away from the guy. Even Liz Smith said, AJ Benson's going to watch what he's, you know, they all came after me, but I held, I held firm. And it didn't, maybe, maybe five years later, I moved to L.A., and I met a manager who signed me, Mark Berg, who happened to be on the movie set that Robert Downey was on and told me that day, you know, you were right about Downey. We flew him out to L.A. He wanted to go to the Oscar parties. So, you know, it was not a big story in terms of he wasn't doing anything crazy, but he would have got a lot of trouble if they swung out and fucked up in L.A. that night. And, um, and he was protected. You know, he was one of those guys, sure. the, a golden child of, uh, of Hollywood. Yeah, um, yeah he, he was. And he, we, we've since, you know, he, we, he'll wink at me if he sees me out. I haven't seen him in years, but there was a time when we'd run into each other and he would give me the, the little wink or nod. And when you start getting those winks and nods from the Sean Pens and the bad boys, the Johnny Depp's, it's them telling you, I know you got a job to do. I get it. You know, you were right about this, right about that. I'd never been confronted by someone who just wanted to rip my head off because of something I wrote. Some of them have called me and pulled me aside and told me it hurt them, but no one wanted to hurt me. It's been pretty, pretty cool. No, you. I mean, but that's also your your understanding of the way things play. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. fans don't. The fans get crazy. Michael Jackson fans wanted to kill me. Uh, they still do because my column was the first column to break the molestation story in the country. Right. And I still talk about that to this day, and I still think he's guilty because I, I got very inside that family. I dated his sister-in-law. I dated Jermaine Jackson's ex-wife. I was with his nephews. I was. I knew about my. Latoya was a friend of mine. She would call me and tell me shit. So nobody can tell me he's not guilty of those things. But his fans want to kill me. But the Jackson family, they don't care if they see me. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting to me that you avoided all these different violent outcomes in these different situations, and yet, like the most famous AJ Benza story, resulted in you punching fucking idiot yeah. stuttering John in the face. Which and was, everybody gets it wrong because it wasn't a punch. No, you slapped him. I, I listened to it that morning. I remember the morning. I was listening in my in my house. I was probably high as shit. And I was. Um, I, was I was not. I, I don't want to say high. I wasn't high, but I was definitely. I had stuff in in me from the night before but I was functioning on the radio I wasn't like I was you know loopy and you know but I, I, I had imbibed about four hours earlier or five hours earlier so you were that, drinking and doing coke or something the night before I probably did a few bombs definitely drinking without a doubt probably had a bunch of Percocets in me as well that was that was my that was my drug of choice because I, I literally had two back surgeries in a row that went well, this, the first one went bad the second one worked but that that got me hooked on Percocets and Vicodin so I went through that phase where I always had to take five at a time four at a time to function um but yeah, I mean, I wasn't on this. I wasn't on the show getting high. But obviously, from the several hours 
was earlier, it was in my system. Right. You know. And uh, and 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 Howard loved you. They all loved you there. I mean, I would listen to that show. Howard and Robin loved you like you were, uh, you yeah, know, like like know, like the, your, their time. kids. And it was, um, great. Yeah, it was great. And he didn't love John the way he loved you. I don't think. Which <laughs> well, you I, know, he, he worked with John every day. And John, I love John. I still talk to John all the time. I do his show. We're all. You know, I, I did his show several years ago and let him smack me back on on his show and. We're cool. We're like brothers in that respect. We fight. We make up. But back then, there was a jealousy factor because John wanted the chair that uh, Jackie sat in. John loves Jackie. Yeah. And I got the chair for a month. Right. And it looked like I might get the chair. And I didn't realize it. I was staring at a potentially huge job yeah. until after it was over. But I remember telling Howard, and people don't believe me, but I remember saying, as much as I love being here, I could never change my lifestyle and work and leave and go to bed at 9.30 every night. Like, my whole life was dependent upon AJ's out in the streets till 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Now you want me to, now I have to change and be a regular guy and not have the stories to bring you that I get when I'm out? Like a milkman, you know what I mean? It would have changed me. So I didn't know I was losing a possible career, but as it turns out, it went to Artie, and he was the fucking best at it. Yeah. And it probably had a hand in, in, in keeping him an addict, unfortunately. Well, the funny thing is he had the same problem that you did, that he had to go out every night, and he had to yeah. be up in the morning, and it, it didn't work for him. Um, yeah. Now, in those days, when you were out and about carousing, I'm sure you had a few good, dopey stories to tell. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, the first surreal story was um, hanging with Mickey, and um, actually, I was asleep. He calls me at like two thirty. Uh, I was in for some reason. He just trashed a bathroom at a place called Frederick's because he got an early copy of Page Six, and Richard Johnson had said some derogatory things about his boxing career, and Richard uh, and Mickey wanted to kill him. Yeah. So Mickey was with Tupac, who Tupac Shakur. You know, I ran with that those guys for for a few 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 months back then before he was shot and after he was shot the first time, and they called me, so I met them downtown, uh, uptown at Frederick's, and uh, he goes, "You got to tell me where Richard Johnson lives. I want to fucking beat that guy up tonight." Tonight he's dead. I said, Mickey, I can't tell you where he lives. You can't beat up. You can't beat up a journalist. You can't do that. So he goes, I'm going to kill him. I'm kill him. I said, stop. So we're in the fucking town car, the four of us, me, Mickey, Johnny Nelson, Tupac, and his driver Kevin is driving us down downtown Fifth Avenue. And Mickey decides, well, if I can't kill Richard Johnson, I'm going to kill myself. That's a big story. You want a big story tomorrow? I said, yeah. He said, I stopped the car, Kevin. So he gets out and. He lays and said, we're fucked up. We're all we're, we're doing blow and we're taking pills and shit. Mickey used to have a, a lady carry a, a doctor bag with her. Some Brazilian woman had a bag of drugs that he would take. He was on age back then. Everything was bad. And uh, stopped the car. Mickey gets out and lays down in the middle of the street, Fifth Avenue and 40th Street. And he says, I'm going to wait till somebody runs me over. And then Tupac lays down next to him. And then he knows does. And then I do. Now, I'm a journalist pretty brand new at that as a gossip columnist and I'm laying in the street high with the big fucking movie star a big rapper waiting for a car to run us over yeah. I knew I was going to get a big story out of it I knew we weren't going to die I knew we'd get up in time but it just so happened at 4 o'clock in the morning the street wasn't that crowded so nobody ran us over but it just that was a dopey fucking thing to do but 
I've gotten a lot of mileage out of this story, and um, it gave me some sort of uh, cred, you know, that I'm involved in that. And who know who knew that Tupac would go on to become the greatest, in my opinion, and die, you know, the way he was murdered. Right. Just, just you know, luck and happenstance, and just having the balls, and unfortunately being stupid and dumb and high enough to do something. Like um, the, the next idea could have been something that could have gotten us all in jail. I could just uh, right, you know. Did you write? Did you write that story? Oh yeah, sure. I wrote it in my book. I wrote that. That's in the beginning of my book. I think I wrote the first page of my first book was whenever my phone rings at three o'clock in the morning, someone is either dead, drunk, or wants to get laid. And um, from that first line, I told a bunch of my New York City stories about being a gossip columnist and the mafia, the supermodels, the, the, the actors, the, all the bullshit, the newsroom drama. I still haven't written the L.A. stories, but I'm doing that now uh, about my 20 years here and what I've encountered here. Not so much as a gossip columnist, but as a half-assed TV star and actor and writer and a guy that's been involved in Hollywood now in television and movies and now podcasts. So I've got a lot of stories. Um, yeah, that's a great story. That's yeah. a great story. Lenny Dykstra came on Dopey recently, and um, and he told uh, a story about being in rehab with Mickey Rourke and Kiefer yeah. Sutherland and all these guys. And yeah, right. he was a mess. I, he was I, a I, I know, I know Lenny. I talked to Lenny a few days ago. Yeah, he really. I knew that, but I, I knew he wasn't. Um, the story that Ron Darling told in his book about about Lenny cursing out Dennis Oil Can Boyd with racial slurs. I didn't buy that story. I told Lenny I didn't. And I said I'm going to take care of it on my podcast. And Lenny sued Ron Darling now because uh, it's bullshit. It's a bullshit story. I mean, Lenny's a, Lenny's a lot of things, but he he wouldn't scream that kind of shit at the picture. I, I, he's not a racist. He's nuts, but he's not a racist. He's an old school motherfucker, though. He I might know. he might say shit like that off off the mound. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but there, there were just too many people in earshot that would have heard it and remembered it. And Ron Darling, if you're a New Yorker, you knew he, he was Mr. Perfect. Yeah, he was Percy. You know, fuck him. Yeah, I don't side with guys like that. I side with guys who live lives a little dirtier. And that's Lenny. Yeah, Lenny Dykstra came to my house and met my. It came to my dad's apartment, met my dad, and said, "I can make a lot of money pimping you out." He said about my father. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? I just love that that in those days there was a pitcher called Oil Can Boyd. Like oh, it was, it's a different era, you know what I mean? And by the way, by the way, Oil Can Boyd was so fucked up from smoking crack the night before that he said he wouldn't even have heard what Lenny was saying because he was just trying to get through the game. Imagine pitching Game Six of a World Series. Series and being up all night smoking crack. That's the era we were in. I mean, Keith Hernandez was down in the dugout doing lines in between innings. Fucking sports was insane. Right. Is I it, loved it. Is there a parable now? Like, is there a thing like that? Like, you're you're in the front lines of this thing. Like, are, are are people like doing blow in the locker room of the NBA still? Is that happening? Like, is, I don't, not, not, not near. Maybe maybe in the NBA, it, it'd be so 
it's so anti what the NBA and everything else stands for in professional sports now with the juice machines and the kale this and right. protein that and everybody's got a brand to protect it doesn't make sense anymore but there is there are drugs in sports the, the, to me the man who's going to hit his knees pretty quickly soon is Conor McGregor because he is um, he's hanging around with the wrong fucking crowd a bunch of Irish gangsters who I mean killers Right. And there's talk about his money being laundered, you know, his money being laundered, their money being laundered through his, his enterprises, his whiskey and his, his bars. But Connor is doing the kind of shit that you and I know cokeheads do when they're angry at four o'clock in the morning and you punch somebody's phone or... When you punch somebody's phone out of their hand at 3 o'clock in the morning or, you know, you knock a guy out at 4.30 a.m., it's a coke crime. I mean, I, you know, I think you're as, as well aware as I am. I can tell the drug you're on by the crime you commit and what time of day it is. Right. You know, and I think I have that over a lot of other journalists because, well, especially nowadays, most journalists are just pussies. In my day, it was established and expected that every day at lunch you go downstairs with three or four writers and you have a couple of martinis and talk shit about everybody go back upstairs and write your column um it's so different now i don't even want to walk into a newsroom so the journalists now are not any people that are really living life among the people they write about and and i think that's essential to get the story and the the just the whole visceral feeling of the story right and honesty to get now. truth yeah. in it you know I, yeah. I, I listened yeah. to your podcast today and you were just talking about all these journalists who are basically just hijacking something they read and writing a yeah. piece about that as opposed to that's living it that's all they do they just, they just google it they, they look at there's so many different websites that, that offer I mean when I was a gossip columnist I, I, I think there might have been 10 in the country maybe really Liz Cindy, me, Richard Johnson, I'm already running out. Right. Slow. I mean, it, it just was like 10. And then the satellite people who hung around. But then now, with all the websites and, and TV channels, and there's hundreds and thousands of people who have websites and columns. And people just read and take a story, and maybe, maybe they'll make a call to get a backup or to, to solidify something. But the days of two sources are over. That no one cares anymore. Yeah, Nobody. they just—they just want the scintillating copy. They just want the the the, the headline, the bait. The they, even, bait. They, they even they even want yes yes, but they also want because now that the, you know Google runs everything. I, you know, I have my column for Star Magazine. I don't write in that. What's that thing that people write in the form they write in? Um, something works. I should, the point is, there's a way you have to write now when you file a story. If you're a newspaper or magazine writer, you have to write it so that the, the, the headline, like everything can be Googled by the headline. Right. Keywords. Keywords. There, right, right, right. You know, I, like, I, I don't write like that. And one of my deals with Star Magazine was I'm not writing in that form. I'm going to write the story you fucking diffuse it look I'll, I'll tell you what the bomb is you diffuse it I'm gonna write the story on my laptop and I'm gonna send it to you you put it in your format I'm not doing that shit you make it marketable you make it searchable so, yeah, so you sell your papers I, yeah I can't do it I'll give you the goods but you wrap it up in that bullshit Google shit that makes everybody able to uh, find it quicker I hate that shit 
but that's the world we live in now. Right, right. No, I understand. I mean, we used to put, uh, we used to have to put heroin, crack, rehab in every podcast every post we would put just to get, you know, I, I feel like I should be doing that because our podcast isn't so big. You didn't even know what it was, <laughs> but I don't blame you. Um, no, but you know, our podcast world is tough, man. It, t- it takes, it took me a year for doing well I still don't do it for huge amounts of money but I did it for a year for absolutely zero money right and then just to get several thousand people into it and then I went into okay I'm going to start a Patreon thing and once I started getting 30,000 people every day then it's like okay now maybe one percent of them will pay to hear me. That's basically how it works out. One, if one or two percent of the people in your audience pay you to hear your stories, that's pretty good. It's great. I mean, I heard I heard from your fans that your Patreon was the only Patreon that they they bought that was actually worth buying. So I mean, that says something. That's cool. Well, I try to. You know, what I try to do. It's again, it's learning on the fly. I didn't know how to do this. The first story I did two years ago, the first show is so different from the show I did today yesterday because I'm just changing as I go along but you've got to um, you've got to save some better stuff for Patreon have a little more passion or break breaking stories on the Patreon rather than breaking it on the daily free show and if you can make people believe that look and then I'll remind them on the regular show this is what I broke this week on Patreon that nobody in the country had so if you want to hear stories first you gotta pay five fucking bucks. It's it's a, it's a latte, okay? Sure. Get off that. And that's, and I hate to talk that way, but that's what it means now to sing for your supper. You gotta tell people. And you know what? Though here's the cool thing: once you have an audience of, let's say it's only, like, even if it's like five thousand faithful people who really will, you can make a decent living selling anything you need to sell. I'm gonna start selling them short stories every couple of months. I can sell them a cookbook on all my fucking I, I, I put recipes on my show that's become something that's really popular you just don't know but once you have a solid core of people that are your fans that will follow you it's, you get a taste of wow they like what I'm saying this is interesting well that's interesting that's interesting to me it's like a new business it's like, it's like look we're gonna open a restaurant but we're gonna give out free food for a year we're gonna lose all our savings but I think after the year's up we're going to have a good restaurant and people are going to start banging on the door. And that's essentially what, I don't want to say you're banging on the door, but that's essentially what happened. It fucked for a year. And my marriage suffered because of it, I believe. I know. And now we're not living together, although we're, we're, I don't think, we're, we're, not, we're not headed toward divorce, but we're definitely not together since December. And I think the show had a part of that. Um, a part of the show was a reason for that. I've got to be honest. That's it, it, my, my attitude, my personality, the, the passion I put into it. And it, initially when I began the show, I was still writing uh, a screenplay that I finished. But when I was writing the screenplay, I was drinking every day and getting, not shit-faced, but I was drinking to the point where I wanted to get into my father's head. It's a long, boring story, but that affected my marriage. Of course. Well, I mean, and you're not and you're not drinking now, from what I understand. No, I, I haven't since December 22nd. I don't know how many days that is, 100 and something. I don't count. I just know the last day. Um, and it's cool. It's fine. Uh, I'm busy with what I do. It just comes down to I'm, I'd rather be with my kids and my wife than, than have a drink. And by, by the way, when I was drinking, it would be three airplane bottles of vodka and a half a beer. 
just to get some kind of feeling in my head before I started writing. Now, if you go back to the days when I was drinking, <laughs> I probably had 18, 20 drinks a night. Right. When I was out every night. But you, it, it was still, it, you needed to drink to function. It was alcoholic I drinking. Did, yeah. I did, and I functioned well because my column was good and my, uh, you know, my TV career. I wasn't drinking during my TV career, but there were plenty of nights where we had a two-hour break and I'd throw down two or three drinks at a bar. Um, it felt good to walk into a Hollywood bar with my mistress's candles fucking suit on and people coming all around me and chicks. You know, suddenly you're on TV. You're better looking than you ever were. It's not, it's just a very strange thing that happens. And if you don't buy into it, you must be dead. But when you first get out of here and you've got a TV show and then a second TV show and a movie deal or a book deal like I had, oh, let me tell you, you get a lot of friends overnight and uh, a lot of females want to be around you. I took advantage of that. It was fucking, it was a ball. Of course. Fantastic. So then the, the, the thing started. I remember the first time I'm with this beautiful chick, my God. And she, um, so let's come back to your house, okay. And I never had drugs at my house. But apparently that's what you needed because the restaurants closed at one o'clock. You know, you still want to hang out. So you start to keep stuff at your house. So we went back to my house and the girl took out some blow and she started doing some blow. And I remember a little bit dropped on the floor. And she put her finger on the floor and, you know, put it on her gums. And I said, what the fuck are you doing? Don't do that. And she looked at me like I was crazy. Yeah. yeah. And about six months later, I was doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I was trying to find it in picture frames when I cut it on a, on a, I used to have a picture of Giselle in a frame. I remember taking the frame apart to find particles behind the wood. You know what it's like, yeah. raping old bottles. It's insane. It's just ludicrous. But that's what it does to you. And that's what it did to me. It, it, it puts us all in the same position of being so embarrassed but finally, eventually, I couldn't even smell cocaine anymore. I, I, I would gag if I saw it. So that's completely out of my life. When did it change? And, and, and was it difficult? Yeah, yeah, it was difficult. Sure, I, I probably said I was going to stop 15 times or something like that. But once I had my kid, my daughter, 14 years ago, um, I want to be a big man and say I stopped on the spot, but I didn't. Yeah, me neither. It, it probably went into a couple of years of her being alive, which I'm disgusted about, but... You know, that's the truth of the matter. And one day, you know, she'll she'll hear it if she needs to. I'm not going to hide the fact from her. Um, she, my kids, I'm very honest with my kids. They know that the last fight that made me and mommy break up was because daddy was drunk and I got to be, I got yelled, I got very loud, passionate one night. And nobody got hit, thank God. But it was loud and scary and um, cops came, etc. And, uh, you know, they, so they, they know that things are bad with, with drugs and alcohol. Um, I don't know if that'll help them or hurt them. I just think everybody's different. My father drank two scotches a night before he went to bed. And my mother used to get mad at him, right. too. Fucking guy was dying of cancer for 10 years. He wanted two scotches to fall asleep. And when I think of what I used to do in my 30s and 40s, oh, my God. I mean, I'm a fucking monster. Did you ever wind up when you were with Mickey Rourke? Did you ever try heroin or no? I tried it twice. Um, what was the circumstance? First time was New Year's Eve. I was hanging out with uh, Jimmy Rip, who was a, a guy who played with the Rolling Stones a lot on a lot of their albums and shit. And um, good guy, 
and he had some at a party. It was New Year's Eve. He had some. I never, I didn't even see it. It was in a tinfoil wrapper. I didn't know what the fuck it was. And my buddy Johnny Boy said, oh, it's got some home. got some heroin. And Johnny had done off and on for years. And I had so much Percocet in me. I had so many opiates in my system back then. Right. I said, what the fuck could be the harm if I have a little snort of this? You know, a tiny little bit. And I took a tiny little bit. First, I got real nauseous. And then I felt euphoric obviously yeah. and um, I said I could do that again but Johnny I never never grabbed a needle in my life but Johnny was uh, uh, very Johnny was uh, like 15 years older than me still is alive we don't talk anymore unfortunately but Johnny Boy said you know one more time and that's I don't want to see you touch this shit again and I did it one more time and it wasn't a good night I had been with a girl and uh, we, we had a fantastic night and I woke up and she was gone I didn't know what the fuck happened I didn't like it and thank god I didn't like what happened in the aftermath of that night I never tried it again and I have no desire to but you know back then in New York City fuck it was, we, were, we were just running so wild we were at every nightclub every party every supermodel you know like it, it's hard to say no it's just hard to say no. Well, it's an adventure. It's it's a piece of the adventure, and the adventure has the hottest women, the craziest circumstances, the most money. It's like one right. night you're going to try the most nefarious drug just so yeah, you can have done it. Just said, let's, you know, we just uh, let's go to Paris right now. Let's go to Cuba right now. Well, we did shit like that. We were always fucked up when we said those things. I'm glad we did them. I'm glad we went to Cuba one night in the Hamptons. We just said, let's go. I'll go to Cuba right now. So like, boom. We got in the car, drove to Newark. And just fucking flew to Mexico and then flew to Cuba. I mean, we did insane shit like that. Because um, you could. Um, yeah, because we could. Um, I don't remember a lot of a lot of some of those trips. Some friends have to remind me. There was a trip to L.A. with four of my buddies that I completely forgot about. At least three nights of those guys. <laughs> Total no memory. But, you know, no, but I went with guys, a couple of guys who weren't crazy, and, and two guys who were. So the two kept us out of trouble. Uh, but yeah, man, I, you know, when, look, when you can drive your car up to the Playboy Mansion and have to come to the door to open it and greet you, uh, it, it's so hard to just go back and be normal. It's a mind fuck. It's a yeah, mind fuck. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah. And I know you don't have all the time in the world, but I just want to ask you, like, between December 22nd and now, mm. how has it been? And, um, and like, what do you do to get through it? Because it's, you know, it's something that keeps a lot of people up at night. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it does. There's been, there's obviously been times. For some reason, and I think because I'm without my family, I am, by the way, I see them three, four times a week. It isn't like I'm away. I mean, I'm, I'm four miles away, and I'm always kind of running errands for them or picking them up from school. So I'm with them, but I don't stay there. Um, but I'm in this friend's house. I'm in a room. I mean, it's a nice house. But I stay in one room Got a TV in my laptop And a bed A little a small bed And um, a lot of self-reflection And because I have so many things to do With respect to writing I just bury myself in that And and the podcast And frankly I've heard from more than More than 50 or 100 people That the show has never sounded better uh, The topics are great My screenplay's finished I'm now going back to the, to the third book Um 
the screenplay was picked up, uh, the option to be a movie, I've got a director attached. Nothing but good things have happened. So when a few of those things start to happen, you, you start to wise up and go, well, this is clearly the way to go. Right. I'm going to think more about money and, and, and getting ahead. And frankly, nothing is more important than my children. If you told me you're not going to drink, who gives a shit? If you told me you've got to stick a fucking needle in your eyeball every day at 5 p.m. to see your kids again, I'd be ready and happy at 4.58 to do it. I know exactly so, what you mean. So who gives a fuck about drinking? You know, one day, I'm not stupid, one day there'll be a reason to have a glass of wine, and I hope when that day comes, the wife will give me a look and she'll say, go ahead, you, it's okay, you know. Right. But I never want to get to the point where two drinks is not enough. Uh, two drinks is too many and a hundred is not enough. One of those, and I've been in that situation and I don't ever want to be that sloppy again. And as corny as it sounds, when you hear the jail door close behind you, um, I don't care if it's for 12 hours or 12 days, it is a disgusting feeling to be next to people taking a shit 10 feet away from you, right in front of you, throwing up all night, pissing on the floor, having fights across the... What did you go to jail like, for? Just because whenever there's an argument, well, not whatever, but most times when there is any kind of domestic dispute in the house and cops arrive, the man has to go. I mean, they, don't, they very rarely take the lady away. Right. They take the man away. And the cops are very cool about it. And I said, yeah, I, I, my father was a cop. I get it. I'm going. You know, five guys, five cops show up at your door. I know I'm going to jail. Yeah. But it, it was, a, it's, nothing's on my record. It's been all expunged. Um, but it was what it was. But it's it was scary. a wake-up call. And it's a wake-up call. Yeah, scary, and it's a wake-up call. And if it was just a woman involved, it wouldn't have meant as much. But when kids are involved, and you see their little faces, it fucks you up. Yeah. And you, it did me, anyhow. It did me. So I, have, I don't have the problems that I thought I might have had, because they're everything to me, and that's the way it's going to stay, period. You ever go to any meetings or no? I've, I've done them. I've tried them. To be honestly, I... Honestly, they're not. I don't like it there. I don't like being around. I just don't. I, 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 I have a lot of friends in AA, yeah. and they're wonderful people. They don't try to convert me. Yeah. But I get much more out of, I go to an anger management course every Wednesday night, which I love. I see a therapist once a week, which I also love. I'm cool with those two things. Uh, I was seeing an alcohol counselor for about five weeks, and I kept saying, I'm not drinking, bro. I don't even want to, so I'm glad you're trying to help me. But even he was like, I don't know what else I can tell you. You're not drinking. You're not having problems. I said, no. So I just stuck with the therapist, and I stick with the anger management, and I've been... My anger is bad always. I've always had a temper, always. Right. And whenever it's mixed with drugs or alcohol, it fucking gets there you know, one way quicker I get to my boiling point. Well, scary so proportions, yeah, absolutely. Very. And I don't even have to hit anybody when I get mad. And here's the embarrassing thing. If you've ever seen yourself get mad, it's one thing when I was 35 and looked like I could tear someone's head off, but now I'm 56 and I just look like an old dad who's yelling. It, it's not menacing anymore. Yeah. It's just like sad. <laughs> yes. So, so fuck it, man. Whatever it's illusion not, of power you had is now just sad. It's gone. You know what? I have no more friends in the mafia. Uh, um, I'm not running around with movie stars, although I'm friends with some. But the point is, 
what you've what you've settled into is your father. You're now a version of your father, and you've got responsibilities. And uh, life isn't about your glamour and vanity anymore. It's about your family. keeping your kids straight and narrow, keeping money on food on the table, and giving them a nice, happy life. I've had a ball. I've lived the life of 100 men. So the next 25, 30 years that I got, it's all for them. No, I got you. I'll write about my stories, but I'm not going to live them anymore. No, period. I think that's beautiful, man. And and when I you texted me, you have this crazy busy day. Is there some amazing scoop that I can <laughs> I can leak? Is there anything happening that I should know about? No, you know what? The unfortunate part was uh, you you were trying to get a hold of me at the height of my separation with my wife, so things were so fresh and raw, and I was moving from apartment. I mean, I was sleeping on my nephew's couch for for forty days. Oh, God. It was like it was. Really like, and you're like, this annoying. fucking annoying podcast guy yeah, is no, texting no, but me. I, but I always say yes to people, and I heard from people that you're good, you're great, you got a good show. So I knew you were recommended to me by people who I respect. So I just thank That's you nice. for your patience. But today's, today's day is basically... Um, now there's a lot of Britney Spears stuff which I'm almost embarrassed to cover because she's such a young kid but she's crazy with these bipolar her meds were wrong and she's in, in an institution longer than people think she's been in since January not April everybody's getting the story wrong I know I'm right um you know, I, when I'm in a groove, I'm in a groove. Right now, I've been writing about a lot of shit, way ahead of people. And um, I knew there was no sex slavery with Robert Kraft. Right. I knew Justice Well, That was lying and from day one. I've been on a roll. So when I'm in a roll, I just want to keep moving and shaking. So, uh, well, keep moving anytime, and shaking. Anytime you want to call me and we'll do it again, I, I'd love to. Just, uh, you know, I'm much more in a position to do it now and not so harried. So don't worry about calling me. What I need is I need the dopey scoop. If there's any, like, you know, uh, fucking junky business going yeah, yeah. on. Okay, alright, I'll give you that when I, when I come across it. I know, to me right now, Conor McGregor is the guy that's, that's the sloppiest guy doing too much cocaine, allegedly, and he's hanging around with a crowd that uh, I shouldn't even be talking about. The only reason I am talking about it is because they're way out there in Ireland. Right. If they were out here, I wouldn't be talking about it. I got you. Um, I'll, 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 I'll get you something. I'll find some sloppy shit. By the way, I heard, I saw Artie on the back of a garbage truck doing his community service. Yeah, I, I'm sure he's much better now. But one quick story I'll leave you with is um, the the night that crashing his HBO show was premiering for the first time was a Sunday night. He was out in LA doing stand up. I saw him Saturday night. Had a good time with him. Sunday night he calls me and he just says, "Hey, up, party?" He goes, "I said I can't wait for your show." He goes, "Listen, don't get mad." I said, "Well, it's my what?" He says. I need some cocaine. I said, is this a joke? He goes, no, I really, I need to HBO. I can't go to HBO. They want to fly me to HBO tomorrow and, and, and to San Francisco and sit down with the bosses. And I, I can't do it. And he sold me on this thing that he couldn't be straight. And I said, Artie, this is a weird position to put me in. Well, I made, long story short, call me a scumbag, whatever you want, but I tried to find him some because he was begging me for, it took me hours to find somebody with cocaine in LA. And so I thought, wait a minute. We can just go to a certain restaurant and cop from two or three guys that are always there. I forgot. So we went, I introduced him to a guy. He got some shit, but went back to his hotel room. We didn't watch Crashing. Um, you didn't watch I, it. We didn't watch it. Yeah. I watched him get high. And we had a good talk, as you normally do when somebody's on, well, not a good talk, but a long talk. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, I drove home. 7 a.m., he's calling me for more. Yeah. I said, Artie, here's the guy's number. And that began 
and I'm sorry, the next day he asked me if I knew how to get heroin. I said, dude, that's nothing. I'm not even anywhere near. That's not in my wheelhouse. Um, but that began his downturn with all this shit that's happened the last two years. Literally that weekend with me. Wow. And I, I feel guilty about it, but we've talked since then. And he said, you know, it would have been somebody else. I just knew you liked me enough as a friend that I could appeal to you. I guess what he was saying is he went through his list of people and he's they already were burned or went through with him. And I was a fresh I was a fresh name, put it that way. Yeah, he can and uh, he could he could take yeah. advantage of you as a, as a as an enabler, which he, he did. did. He, he did. He said I'll give you X amount of money if you could get this to me. At the time I needed it and I was rationalizing going, you know what? I he's gonna get money. it anyway. Yeah. Of course. But that began everything for him and um did you get high? Did you get high with him? No, that night? not that night. I did. No, that's a lie. I did. I did a few lines, but is that getting high? I guess it's. Of course, it's getting, getting high. Are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, but it, but it, but it wasn't. No, it's like when someone lays out a line and they keep it all for themselves. To me, it's like I don't. I don't consider that getting high. <laughs> I know I did, but I didn't. I didn't get high. I just did a bump or a line. I left, and he. No, I hear you. But I understand. Like if we sat down together and did it together, that's getting high to me. Well, you, I mean, for me the second i put coke in my body like i haven't done coke in you know i don't know five yeah, years or yeah, something i'm sure and i would i would way, yeah. well i would feel it you know what i mean i felt it but i also felt gaggy and nauseous and yeah. knew I, i'd already stopped years before that but i wanted to be social and um and you're with you know, Artie. Weird, yeah you wanted to say that story i got high with Artie because i never had right so in that respect yeah i did it um but I, I hate what happened to him. He really has such a fucking problem with it, man. It's unbelievable. Well, he's um, a serious fucking drug addict. The question, I, I believe personally, I personally believe he can turn it around. Uh, him on the back of that garbage truck uh, was the best yeah. I saw him look uh, yeah, wasn't it? in a long, long time. And it's going to humble him. And he needs to be humbled and he needs to stay off Twitter and he needs to stay off oh, yeah, everything. Definitely. You know? That's, that's, that's the uh, idea. And I, I, I equate myself situation in, in the same way, although not nearly on his level, but uh, a sense or, or an occurrence of, of being humbled has to happen before anything stops. Otherwise, if you got a bunch of people around you who want to have fun off your back and off your wallet, you'll never fucking stop, ever. And he had a couple of people next to him who were such enablers, including his buddy Dan, who produced the show. Oh, yeah. He knew Artie was doing shit. Sure. I went to Artie's apartment to do a show one day, and he came out of the bedroom holding a tissue in his hand like we all used to when we were getting high. And I looked at my nephew, and I said, holy shit, he's fucking getting high. And this is way before this was, that was like five years ago. And I said, of course he's high. He's holding a tissue in his hand. And, but we don't do that unless we have a cold. And if we have a cold, we don't have friends over. You know, it's just, anyhow, he had enablers near him. And, yeah. Uh, well, I used to I used to go like track him to the Kumia when he was doing the show with Anthony oh, Kumia. Bad, he bad. was so bad. He had this kid from New Jersey would drive his Jeep in and just oh, really? sit in the Jeep while he did the show. And the dude yeah. was obviously on heroin, and the dude would be yeah. and he would walk. 
walk me to the Jeep and he would introduce me to the kid. Oh and it was God. like, it was as though I was the kid. Cause I was, I had yeah. the same kind of life. So I saw what I was looking at. And then one time, and, um, I don't think I've ever told this story on dopey. I'm going to tell it to you real quick. Uh, we left, uh, I was at the Kumia show with him and he was a fucking mess. And it was like the end of January or February, I think last right. year. And it was like still cold and he didn't have a jacket and he was a fucking disaster. And it was like freezing rain and the, and, and the kid wasn't there. And he was like, how do I get home? And I said, I said, I'm not sure. I said, I think you have to take the path train. And he goes, will you walk me? And I said, yeah. So I held him and Artie Lang's like my fucking hero. So I walk him to the path train, holding an umbrella over his head. And, um, and he says to me, uh, can I get the train here? And I never even fucking taken the, the path to, to Hoboken or whatever. So, and then I said, there's a cab. And I walked him to the cab and I, uh, you know, he was like, I love you, man. Thanks. Blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, dude, you know, like if you ever need anything, you know, but he was so feeble and I, he looks like he could have been dead that week. He could have been dead a million times. No, no, no. Yeah. He, he really should be dead a number of times. I mean, one time he texted me a picture of all the heroin he had and it was about 80, 80 little bags. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know how long it took him to use it, but I said, Artie, what the fuck, man? I don't worry, I'll be fine, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. There's just no talking to him. It's a different, it, there are literally two different Artie Langs. When he's high, you know, it's like Chris Farley. I heard, I heard from David Spade, there were two different Chris Farleys. And Farley would just get high with strangers, and all strangers wanted to do was say, I got high with Chris Farley. Right. So he turned nobody down. And your best friends eventually go, fuck you, I'm going home. Fuck it. Right. Fuck it. No, and here he goes. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I heard he has he has other mental issues, but when he was getting high, he actually told me that he wanted to co-host Dopey with me, which was like, oh, yeah, yeah. which yeah. you know, which was this great moment in my mind, this great like fake me believing well, something uh, was going to no, happen. He, he, listen, he told me he was going to I was going to be his partner on the, on the Artie show on, on his show in New Jersey. Right. He told me let's do a show. Together. I want you on my show. I'll be right. A thousand dollars a year. I had those conversations too. Isn't that like the know? best? Isn't that the best yeah, that we could right be on now. the phone right now on my yeah, weird yeah. addiction podcast swapping things already <laughs> promised us stories? That's so funny. <laughs> It's sad, and he's not the only one who does it when they're high. It's just, it's gross. That's part of the thing. That's part of the thing. And then it's also the secret handshake, the, the 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 guy in the car waiting for you, the the phone number. The, the, it's just so many things that go along with it that isn't the drug that make it part of the experience. And you've got to quit all those things. You've got to drive a different route. You can't pass a certain street. You got to go to a different bar. There's so many different things. It's the ritual, the ritual and being yeah. part of that life, which is intoxicating in itself. And that was your thing because yeah. you you crafted a persona that put mm-hmm. you in those situations as this guy, which yeah. you know was intoxicating just to watch. And, and everybody would tell me, "Be careful, AJ." And I honestly didn't know what they meant. I mean, I had so many people would tell me, "Be careful." I hope you're careful. And I say, "Careful." I own the streets. I own New right. York. What do you mean, camera guy? I can walk anywhere in LA. I fuck all. I'm 
careful. I'm the man. Stupid. Right. Fucking blow you, blow your first fortune, and you just it's it's. And then you look and you go, holy shit, I'm that guy. I'm the guy that blew the first fortune. I'm the fucking idiot who did it. And everybody, all the squares are doing fine. They're doing fine. Well, but I'm here shot. you are, though. You have your little room, yeah. and you're and you're working. <laughs> no, for real. You're fucking working to get your family back, and you're working your craft, and like you can you know create your second one. You know what I mean? The only reason why I'm okay with it, I'm really not. But the only reason why I see it happening to me and almost expected it is because everybody I grew up respecting and looking up to went through this kind of shit. Frank Sinatra was done, gone, couldn't get a job, couldn't sing, retired, fucking drunk every night. David Gardner got him off his ass and fixed him. Did from here to eternity, got the Oscar, everything turned around for him. But so many people I admire were fucking counted out. And I happened to do the movie Rocky Balboa. I saw it. Not to be, not to be corny, but when you hear Sylvester Stallone say, it's not how hard you get hit, it's how you get back, how you get back up and hit back. But that's life. Life is suffering. And the meaning you get from the suffering is, is how you live your life. Life is suffering, period. All right, man. I really appreciate your time. It's great to you have you it. on. And, uh, and yeah, give me some sloppy, dopey stories when you I come. will. I totally will. Now that I got your number, we'll swap them. You got right. it. And if you need me, just give me a call. Have a beautiful day, and thanks, man. Thanks. You, bro. you too, brother. All right, buddy. Bye. So that's AJ Benza. What a miraculous fucking dopey call. I never would have expected the Artie Lang story or, or the other stories. Um, uh, right now we have back on the phone, old friend of the show, old friend of mine, co-writer of Good So Bad, my friend Justin. Welcome back. Hi. So fucking AJ Benzo was just on the show, and he opens his appearance by talking about lying down in traffic with Tupac and Mickey Rourke. Wow. Yeah. And is it true that A.J. Benza grew up near your mother? Next door neighbors, yes. Does your mother have anything to say about him? She has before. I can't remember what she said about him, but like back when he used to appear on maybe the E! channel or something, she used to tell me about him. Um, but he was like a little kid, I think, when she was like a teenager maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know that his family were next door neighbors with my mom's family. So you don't have any particular opinions about A.J. Benza? I don't. Well, I thought he was actually really good, but um, I wanted to get you on the phone because the other day I was at work and um, and you texted me and you were like, you should get Moby on the show. And, and for those of you who don't know, Moby is this big time uh, electronic dance music character. Is he a DJ? I don't know. I, I guess he might call himself a DJ. He's, I don't know what those people... I never understood that whole electronic music thing and whether they're DJs or not like that guy VC or Avicii or whatever the hell his name is Chris uh, loved that guy Moby was kind of like the first version of him I think uh, you know Moby puts uh, videos of himself on Instagram now playing drums like playing hardcore drums like old school hardcore that's weird I know you love old school hardcore so I thought you'd think that was interesting well I did for like six months when I was 13 but that 
That guy, Moby. Um, we were outside a tattoo shop the other day, and you're like staring into the window longingly, and you're like, "Oh, I think this is this hard New York hardcore guy." So don't don't try to you know no, erase that was the, the New York hardcore tattoo shop that's owned. By, I think by, I think it's owned by some guy from Agnostic Front. That's my point. Your eyes grew into saucers, so now don't downplay your love. See, you're in a very foul mood. Why are you in such yeah. a foul mood? What's up with you? I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. It's been the past couple of days. I've just been like this. But uh, super negative. You know, when, stuff. I saw, when I saw Moby, um, where did you see him? In the, in the New York Post, talking about his uh, days of uh, drug addiction and debauchery. No way! You saw um, him in the Post talking about drug addiction and debauchery. Yeah, and and when I saw it, um, it reminded me of our our trip to Panama City uh, for spring break <laughs> many years ago in the 1990s. I think it was 2000. Oh, uh, I don't think so. I think it was like 99, maybe. No, I think it was spring uh, break 2000. I think it was after I did the Howard Stern show. I think that was the, that was my final moment working there. Was that 2000? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. Maybe it was, but when I saw the story in the Post, I never knew that he was a drug addict. I always thought he was a pretty clean-living guy. Well, he looked like uh, a pretty pretty clean guy. Well, I thought he was like a vegan, and then I, he thought, is. I thought he was also a Christian. He's not a and, Christian. Uh, he's a vegan, and he has, he opened like a, he's such a fucking clean-living guy. He opened like a tea shop in the East Village called Tea, Tea New York, which if you read it, it says Teeny. Did you know that? I did not know that. On Stanton uh, Street, right by right yeah, by where I, I work. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, I could not name any Moby song. I'm sure I wouldn't like them if I heard them. Um, but it did remind me when I saw him, this scrawny little guy with a crew cut. Um, he actually has a shaved head. Shaved head or whatever. But I remember that uh, you interviewed him for your for your television show that you had at the time well the funniest thing was i'm working i'm waiting tables and justin texts me and and the, the weirdest thing justin is i didn't see the article in the post but moby popped into my head too like this, <laughs> the same couple days it was really weird and i and i and i followed him on instagram and i swear to god the day before you called me. I wrote him on Instagram, and I and uh, and I wrote, "Yo, Moby, uh, I do this show about drug addiction. I'd love for you to tell your story. I actually interviewed you years ago." So the next day. Justin hits me up and he's like, you should get Moby on the show. And I write to Justin, oh, I actually interviewed him. And Justin writes back, I was there, which I thought was the funniest thing. Yeah, it was outside his tour bus. And, uh, well, set up the whole thing, set up the whole trip. Yeah, yeah. So, well, let me just say, um, the story about Moby and the Post was great because I was reading, I, I, I read the Post every day online and I, I, um, I saw Moby and it reminded me of, of, 20 years ago when, when you interviewed him. I can't believe that's and, 20 uh, years ago, right? Yeah, I know. And I, I clicked 19, on it 19 and, years ago, I bet. And it was right around that time, right around the time you interviewed him, that he got really famous. And before that, he was not famous. And I think before that, he also was not afflicted. And uh, But he got famous, and he's one of these people who I think got famous very quickly. And he... Um, you know, this electronic music, whatever, became cool, 
And so he, he became a celebrity overnight. And he said he was at a show, and he was doing these shows, and he was a nobody. And then he did a show, and someone told him that Natalie Portman was waiting backstage for him. And, you know, she was, I guess, like in the Star Wars movie at the time or something. Right. And, and was like, you know, a movie star. And he couldn't believe it. Well, she's also super beautiful and super rich yeah. and super famous. Yeah, so he's, you know, he's like some vegan electronic nobody. Well, he's this tiny and, little nerd, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but, you know, I'm yeah, hoping... he's not like a ladies' man, right? Like, right. and so this movie star woman is waiting for him and he went backstage and Natalie Portman is waiting there for him and then they started dating right away. Um, well, she probably liked him because he was this nerdy guy, this interesting, nerdy vegan, you know? Yeah, but like, so he goes from being a nobody to dating a famous movie star, like, overnight. And um, I just thought it was interesting. It was an interesting story. And then he, he started doing a lot of drugs. And After that, he started doing drugs, you're saying? Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, But when I read the story, I remembered being outside his tour bus in Panama City, Florida, at spring break in, I guess it was 2000, and you were interviewing him, uh, and you were all fucked up. Oh, man. And, um, and uh, you know, I think, I, I don't remember anything really of the substance of the interview. I did get the impression that he was a good guy. He seemed like a very humble guy. He, he seemed totally sober at the time. He did. Um, so this was probably before Natalie Portman showed up backstage at his concert. But dude, he um, might have he might have been fucked up. But I was like literally the most fucked up you could be. So like, yeah, you were pretty fucked. You were pretty fucked up at that point. I was like the. Mo- I mean, like I remember seeing the video of that, and like my eyes are rolling back in my head, and like <laughs> I'm like murmuring and mumbling, and yeah. you could see him. You were incoherent. Yeah. I mean, it was like I remember at the interview. I do remember at the interview thinking that he knew you were fucked up. Yeah. And and he was being pretty nice by not calling you out on it. Or not um, being a dick. He wasn't a snob. Yeah. He was kind. Moby he was, was playing along. He was being very nice, yes. Also, me and Moby went to the same school. So that's all I could talk about. You know right, what I mean? Yes. And, um, and so, like, but he was very kind, and I was very fucked up. But when you wrote me the other day, it took me back to that trip. You know, and um, yeah. and around that time, I went on a few trips for that company. And every time I would go on a trip, I would have to bring just crazy amounts of drugs with me in order to not get sick. And and I think I brought like like I think we went for like three or four days, right? Yeah, yeah. And I brought like fifty or sixty bags of heroin, and I brought yeah. tons. Well, let me stop you there. So 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 this trip. There must have been, I guess, six to eight people from your from your company, right? Your your that yes. you worked for at the yeah. time yeah. that went on this trip. Yeah. And I was not. I didn't work for the company at all. I was just your friend. And you called me like the day before, or maybe a couple days before, and said, "Do you want to come to Florida?" Um, and I said, "Sure." And you said that you would you would bring me along as as like an assistant cameraman or a production you know, assistant. Helper. Yeah, production assistant. And so I said, okay. And I remember when we were at the airport thinking that you must have loads of drugs on you um, <laughs> and worrying that you were going to get busted in the airport. Uh, and, and you know, of course, you did have loads of drugs on you. Thankfully, you didn't get busted in the airport. But I was also ridiculously high. I was so high, I don't even remember going to the airport at all. 
Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, I remember when we got, I remember when we landed there um, and, and getting some kind of shuttle bus or something um, to the hotel and, and you were clearly wasted. Um, and the rest of the people, what was interesting to me is that I knew you were wasted, but, I, but the rest of the people in your company seemed to either not know it or not care. They were looking the other um, way. Yeah, I think they thought that you were just like a really cool guy, and they didn't. They, like, they were they were happy to have you play your part, um, and so they they sort of tolerated or even enabled it. But um, yeah, we got there, and um, I don't even know what the itinerary was, but I, I just remember a few things from that trip, which I can tell you about. But. Um, the, I don't think I want to hear about it. Well, when, when we we landed, we stayed at some crappy. So Panama City, I'm sure the dopey nation is familiar with Panama City because it's a pretty dopey place. But uh, I mean that place, you know, it's not the nicest place in the world. Um, and we stayed in some kind of rental apartment, I think. No, it was like um, it was like a shit bag resort. Like it was the yeah. lowest level resort. It was like the last resort from the mid eighties that hasn't been demolished. But that's like the whole place. The whole place is like that. It was it was really shitty. And we I remember we had a suite. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. But did we stay alone in that suite? I think we did. It was me and it was at least me and you and I think maybe one or two other people. I don't remember. I had so and much drugs on me. And uh, and I, I didn't remember st- there was Please. I just remember the only people I remember on that trip, there was the cool cameraman guy that looked like Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Al uh, And then there was a guy who was sort of annoying guy who looked like a male model who said he was descended from John Adams, the president. I don't remember who that was. Uh, he was an asshole. And uh, and then there was some other guy who was like your boss. Um, I don't think I, don't I had think a. I feel like I didn't have a boss on that trip. I feel like that. I feel like one of the biggest problems with that trip was we were supposed to go to document spring break, but they sent us down like a week early. Well, no, it was during spring break. But let me. So this is another thing that people who are younger might not might not fully grasp is that you know twenty years ago. People actually went to Panama City for spring break. I don't know if they do that anymore. I think they do. Um, maybe they do, but it was like a big thing. Like MTV would go there and, and film it. But we went on like um, the off-brand week. We didn't go. <laughs> nobody was there. Do you remember? We were on the beach. There were tons the- of people there. Not it was, really. It was, yeah, yes, there were. And so all I remember is is the interview with Moby. Then uh, we, we saw Fastball played a concert. Um, which was a big band at the time. I like them. You, you love them, and and there that one song about the road that you walk on is paved with gold or whatever. That song is good. Um, the way. Yes, and uh, and uh, you had me um, video that that concert, even though I I had never videotaped anything in my life, and I have bad eyesight. Um, and so I didn't have my glasses on, and I, I set the focus on the camera according to my bad eyesight, which made the whole film completely unusable uh, and blurry. And then, like, halfway through the concert, you came and checked the, the um, lens and saw that what I had done and got all upset about it. Um, but I didn't even know where you were during that concert, because I was sitting there, you know, videotaping this thing, thinking that I was 
um, doing a good job. You know, doing a good job, and I was not. Um, well, there were like four there cameras. Was, there was like a dance party. There was some kind of dance party with, you know, a lot of, most of the people who go to uh, Panama City on spring break are from the southeast. And there was some kind of dance party, and there were a lot of girls that were from, like, Georgia. And and Alabama Tennessee and, and stuff. Places like yeah. that, yeah. And um, it was completely debaucherous kind of dance party. Um, and you and I were definitely on the sidelines. We were not in the thick of it. No, um, no. And, uh, and then, and then I remember renting jet skis, uh, <laughs> at some point. I don't remember and that at all. We rented thing, jet skis. The only thing that I've ever, I think the only time I've ever laughed harder with you, uh, or at you is when we went skiing together or snowboarding. Um, and you, you couldn't snowboard at all. The boots were, were too small. Jeans. No, but you were wearing jeans and, and, you're, and, you're, and you couldn't snowboard at all and you fell a million times and then you fell the last time and you were just laying in this snowdrift and saying, this is not for me, I can never do this. <laughs> and, 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 and then you just quit. Uh, but the... the uh, no, I, I think the, I actually fell down. I think I reached in my pocket and took out Bud and I just smoked Bud the rest yeah. of the time on the mountain. Well, you did, yeah. But the... the the, the jet ski, we, I don't know, if it, it might have been like when we first got there that we rented the jet skis, and uh, it was not even a nice day out. It was like 65 degrees, 60 degrees maybe, cloudy, dark sky, the ocean was kind of rough, and we rented jet skis, and the guy said to us, um, don't hit the accelerator too uh, quickly because the, the jet ski will just take off. And... So we said, sure, okay. And we got on the jet skis. We rode them out into the middle of the ocean. And we were way out, like pretty far out. Um, and then you you hit the gas on the jet ski really hard. And uh, the jet ski just took off and you went flying off the back of the jet ski into the ocean. And the jet ski kept going. And... Um, and you were out there, and and uh, that's the only memory I have of that that whole the jet ski experience was you. And it just reminded me of the skiing because it was the same kind of thing, um, where you just fell on your back and were laying in the ocean. I wonder what happened though. I wonder how I how, like did I swim to the jet ski? Like where I did I remember. go? I think you got on the back of my jet ski and I drove you back over to yours. I don't know. Anyway, that's a sad um, story. What I remember, yeah. I remember. Um, all of those guys in the crew in our suite and we were playing cards with them and um and i remember like just every couple minutes because i wasn't shooting the heroin then i was sniffing it and i remember every couple minutes going to the bedroom to sniff some of the dope and coming back and just like nodding out uh during the card game and then like when I got fired, like all of those guys being like, yeah, we knew you were fucked up, but like, why didn't anybody ever say anything? You know what I mean? Like it just, I mean like that trip though, for me, like, first of all, I loved it because I was making a lot of money. I could take you on a trip. Um, we got paid to do it and I could be, you paid me like a thousand dollars. You think so? Yeah. Well, the point of the matter was, 
it was like it was very adventurous and it was very like exciting to because uh, I was like pseudo important and I like believed yeah. my own hype back then. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. And there that, was also some girl from Tennessee that liked you, I think. And uh, but I, I think nothing happened because you were too fucked up. But I think like she came over to the suite. I remember this. She came over to the suite and. Um, and you and you kept telling me like, oh, should I try something? And I said, go for it. And I don't think anything happened. I think maybe I was with somebody then. I think that might have been the story because, like, I don't. Rem- I know that nothing happened, but I don't remember like what had happened. You know what I mean? I, I don't remember. I don't remember the story. But she was she was very attractive. I remember that. Um, now let me ask you this, Justin. You know, um, obviously. You know, you and I have been close friends for a long time, uh, and you and I had the privilege and the joy of playing music together and writing some songs together, right? Yeah. And now, you know, you wrote a lot of songs, whatever. I hate to tell you, but Good So Bad is by far the most successful song you ever had anything to do with. I don't know. I guess so. Maybe. Now, my point is... It's, we have this song that is in the ethos of the Dopey Nation. And I want you to take a second. I want you to take a deep breath. I want you to breathe in the, the kind air of the universe and expel all the horrible negative air that is inside you. And, like, what does it mean? You know, does it mean anything to you that, like, our song is, like, it means something to all these people? It gives them hope? Well, I think I think it means the same thing to the people who hear it and appreciate it that it meant to us at the time. Um, um, you know, I haven't really thought about it, but I, I remember when we wrote it that we were really struggling. Um, we wanted, we, we felt like there was something inside us that was worth something. And we wanted the world to see that. And... Um, you know, I think that's what the song is about, and, and it's not perfect. I mean, there's some, you know, it's a little silly, um, but I think the, the, the basic point of the song is, um, you know, this desire to, um, to, 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 to bring out of yourself what you know is good inside yourself, um, even though it, it sometimes it's really hard to do that. Um, and so that, to me, was what the song was about. And I think that people who relate to it, that's that's what they feel. So you, you haven't had any sort of exciting feeling uh, based on the fact that people are moved by it? Well, I don't see that. I mean, I don't see it maybe as much as you do. I know I know you play it on the, on the show every week. I actually um, have a, a cover. You know, uh, the show opened this week with this crazy, like this dude took an old intro of me and Chris he actually took a whole episode of me and Chris, and he um, he added like crazy like sitcom laugh track to it. It's this guy named he's the guy who did the chopped and screwed uh, pieces. He's called uh, Wooster. Is that how you say it? Wooster. Yeah, Wooster. Yeah, yeah, yeah Wooster. Um, and he did this thing in the front. He also did this instrumental version of Good So Bad, and I'm going to put that on the back. So instrumental. Yeah. Yeah, it's very like kind of, it's like 
if it had a different beat, it would almost be like instrumental reggae, but it's kind of like instrumental cocktail lounge, good so bad. I'll play it for you later. Um, okay. So obviously, you, you're a cold person, Justin. Nothing means anything to you, and all you, all you get pleasure from is seeing me fall off the back of a jet ski. That's that's well, what, that's what I'm getting that, from this. Just, not the only thing. It's just that the, I get the most pleasure from that. Well, how about how fucked up I was on that trip? Could you believe it? You know, I don't think I really understood it at the time. I was thinking about that. You know, I, I, I don't. I don't think. I think when you're young, you don't know what's going um, on. You just don't no, know. No, and on. I, you know, I was drinking a lot and smoking weed and stuff, and like, and it, and it wasn't like I just. I just felt like, oh, that's just a line I wouldn't cross. But it wasn't like. It wasn't like, oh, my friend is doing something that could kill him and ruin his life. I mean, that's not how I thought about it at the time. I think you did. I think you just knew that heroin was often tucked away in a great story and that I would get to the other side of the story. You know, you well, maybe knew... If I, maybe if I thought about it that way, I, w- I, I may well have thought about it that way. I mean, because uh, I would have thought about... You know William S. Burroughs or whatever, because I was into that stuff at the time. So I would have thought, oh, you know, Davy's a great genius and you didn't forceful think personality. That. Well, you obviously didn't well, think that. Trying to make you feel better, but you know, the the I would have thought that you were someone who could handle it and make it through. Yes, I would have thought that. I don't remember thinking that, but that's what I would have thought. Well, the bottom I, line. I, what, I re- what I remember was just not fully appreciating the seriousness of it. Right. Until until it was like ridiculous and I lost yeah. the job and I was just sick and suffering. Until we went up to to Montreal to get the Ibogaine. That's when that's when it, That's when shit got real. Yeah, for but, me. But there were like a, no, because I remember after that I tried to get well and you like took me to some waterfall. You know, you were like desperate to help me get well. Desperate. Yeah. And, uh, and the fact is, like, anybody out there who knows who struggles with using, you have a friend out there who, like, wants to help you get better, but there's nothing that they can do, you know? As much no. as your friend wants it's to help you. It's frustrating for all of those people, obviously. Right. But, as, I mean, like, I'm just going to say this. You need to, like, I mean, it's very hard to, to talk about it because I know so many people struggle with it and I know that I struggled with it and I, and when I say you just have to make a decision it's like such bullshit because I couldn't make the decision you know the the door has to somehow open and the time has to be right that you can make the decision which is fucking weird yeah. you know because you can't just make the decision I couldn't make it for for many 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 years right alright I'm going right. to read and you I, an email I, I, oh, you I say? certainly couldn't do anything nor could any of your other friends or family and um, yeah, it's it's the the problem. Obviously, is that for some people that that never happens and they die. Um, like and, like, um, like Todd and Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, Todd Todd, I think is a little bit different. I feel like, but um, just because I don't know that that he ever experienced um, that that you know the the desire to to stop. Uh, I feel like he was just in permanent denial. Chris obviously did for some period of time, you know, significant period of time, really turn his life around. Um, but, but I don't. I mean, I'm not an expert on any of this. But I mean, it's it's definitely, um, you know, a very a very powerful thing and a very sad thing when people aren't able to survive. And um, 
you know, so far you've been you've been really fortunate. And um, there was a long time there where I thought I never I never gave up hope. But I remember I remember one time you came to my house. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can't remember what year it was now. Probably around like 2004. No, it was after that. It was like '06 or '07, and um, you know you were in bad shape, and you came out to my house with your girlfriend, and she was in bad shape, and um, you guys came out for dinner, and I think you met me at Penn Station and took the train out, and um, you know, like you just didn't eat any food at my house. Like we ate, we sat down to eat dinner. And we had like spaghetti or something, and you did not touch your food at dinner. You just did not touch it, and um, you were all fucked up. And I thought at that point I was, I was. I remember when you left my house, and I was talking to my wife, and I said, "Man, Davy is seriously fucked up." And um, she hadn't noticed that you didn't eat anything, and 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 you know. But I, at that point, I thought, "Wow." And there was a time before that where I went out to California when you were still out there. I had to go out there for work in, in 05 or early 06. And you picked me up at the Beverly Hilton. Do you remember that? Mm, I remember what the pink hotel. I remember that. You know. Yeah, I was at the Beverly Hilton. The pink one, and, right? Uh, I think it's white and with like red letters on it. I can't remember. Anyway. But... Um, you, you you drove up to like where the cars come up in this fucking ridiculously shitty car, and, uh, and I remember when you pulled up, and it was like, you know, there were like bellmen with like you know fancy clothes on and stuff, and you drove up in this jalopy of a car, and you were all fucked up, and I got in the car, and we went to some some diner that serves Mexican food at late, like late at night and then went out to wherever that, where's that pier with the, you know, that famous, uh, Santa Monica, Santa Monica. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember any but there of were those times. I mean, those are times when like, when you came out to my house or when I saw you in California where I thought like the next time I hear about you, you might be when someone tells me you died, you know? Well, I was in, I was in shape like that. You know, that's why like I often, you know, I can't, I mean, I often struggle with the fact that I, I got my shit together, you know, and, and I, I, it's like why some people don't make it and some people do. I was, you know, sometimes I forget how bad I was, you know, and I was, uh, I was really very much underwater, you know, and I, 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 like, I, people ask me what it was like and I can barely describe it. Like, like that trip to Florida is really cloudy, you know, I don't yeah. remember much of it because I mean, not only was I doing all this heroin, I was taking tons of benzos. And if you take benzos, you know you don't remember anything. You know, and uh, and I I was in that I was in a perpetual state of that for many many years. So like the fact that I I got to the other side is is miraculous. You know, so and I'm, I'm I hate to talk about gratitude because it sounds corny in my mind, but I'm supremely grateful. That my mind works I, I, I mean like Dude I, I could have lost everything You know what I mean Like my ability to yeah. think I could have been dead uh, and, and it's a miracle That I got to come back from it And I think that my brain Was affected by it I think my memory Was affected by all the drugs But I think um, 
I think I, 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 you know, I kept enough stuff intact that I can obviously function, and I could probably make one of the best podcasts in the history of the universe. So that, I think I think you just you function just about as well as before. <laughs> you don't you don't you don't think I took any loss from this thing? <laughs> I don't see any loss. <laughs> but you're basically saying that I functioned at a lower level back then than I should have been. Functioning. Well, you can imply you can take that from it if you wish. But dude, there aren't, there aren't there aren't many podcasts that are as good as Dopey, and and you can even it's, well, it's it's a I would give it a solid B plus. Are you kidding me? I mean, forget B plus, whatever. Forget that girl. No, I mean, listen, listen. I'm gonna say this before you say another word. I've only heard one podcast that's better than Dopey. What was it? Stay free. The story of the Clash. Oh yeah, that was very good. Can I just read All you right, an wow. email? You love the dopey story, so why don't you let me read you an email? Yeah, I'd love to hear it. All right. Now you want to hear it. Okay. Hi, Dave. My name is Mel. You can use my name. And I am a new listener, and unlike Justin, I am in love with dopey. I feel like I found my new tribe. Ever since, and your tribe is just some weird old Mayflower bunch, Justin. Anyway, (laughs) ever since I found your podcast, I start each and every day with your show. That's something that you do too, Justin. Anyway, I've listened to quite a few of the newer episodes, but then wanted to start from the very beginning and work my way up. I'm so sorry about Chris, and I miss him as well. He was a great person, and the two of you made such a great team. I'm sure you're getting a million emails each day now that your show has gained popularity, but I felt the need to write in because every episode I hear you guys were always asking for more emails and because the dopey emails are some of my favorite parts of the show I struggled with drug addiction for many 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 years but I've been clean for about nine years now I never went to rehab and I was never a part of any programs so I like hearing you talk about your experiences with recovery I have completely turned my life around and am now a part of normal, responsible society. But your show keeps me company because not many people I know can relate to addiction and drug use and, of course, the depravity. Listening to your podcast feels like coming home. You hear that, Justin? You fucking dick. Listening to your podcast feels like coming home. Did you hear that? Yes, I heard. Okay, I'm sorry I called you a dick. Um, I have so many dopey stories, so I thought I would write in to share one. Just a little about myself. I'm I'm just a 34-year-old gal originally from Texas, where my druggy days began and then moved to Boston, where my drug use continued. I'm always wondering if I somehow ran into Chris somewhere back then. My father is an alcoholic and drug user and has been for all of his life. This is how I got my early start with drugs, because I would watch him use drugs and he was always nice enough to share. Do you hear that? Um, I started smoking cigarettes at the age of 12, developed an eating disorder right around that age, started smoking pot at 13, tried cocaine for the first time at 15, and then gradually moved my way up to heroin, my favorite, at 17. Of course, I also had my share of pills, ecstasy, crack, meth, and many other drugs mixed in along the way. I finally hit rock bottom when I lost my apartment, lost my car, became homeless, used up the last of my money, and burned almost all of my bridges. Thankfully, I have a very loving family who helped me get back on my feet and I had nowhere to go but up from there. I'm totally enjoying my non-addicted life and I think your podcast has and will help so many people not to feel alone. So into my story and as Chris would say, let's hit him with the dopey. 
Uh, I was about 24 years old and living in downtown Boston. I didn't have any connections for heroin at the time, thank God. So I was basically just snorting copious amounts of cocaine and drinking myself into oblivion every night. I was a waitress at a nightclub for many years, and luckily I was a functioning drug addict at this time, so I was able to stay employed. Dave, I know you know about what service industry life is like. So my best friend and I were working at the same club and had the same love for cocaine and booze. We were out all night drinking together and we were following our usual routine of coming back to my place to blow more coke and drink into the early morning hours before going to work again the next day. As we arrived back at my apartment, we noticed a cat running loose in the building. We drunkenly decided that because the cat was homeless, we should grab him and take him upstairs to my apartment so he'd be safe. We took him in and we both immediately bonded with this cat. So he just chilled with us all night and we continued down the rabbit hole of getting even more fucked up. Next thing you know, my friend and I both blacked out as usual and woke up at about 4 p.m. the next day. We both awoke piled on my bed in our work clothes and we both noticed a very strange smell wafting in the room. But we didn't have much time to regroup because we were both due back at work for the evening shift. All I knew was that my sister found this random cat in our apartment in the morning and kicked him out. Now it's time to go to work. We all, all we had time to do was spray on a little perfume, throw on a little makeup, and go right back to work in our uniforms that we slept in all night. Let's just say we were a mess. As we're walking to work, we realize that the strange, disgusting smell from earlier is on us and on our clothes. Come to find out, the cat, who we named Clifford the night before from the movie with Martin Short, had sprayed us in our sleep and we were completely covered in cat piss. Too late to change our clothes now. Somehow we made it through our shift that night doing our best to keep our stench away from everyone uh and when i got back home later i realized that my entire room was covered in clifford's pee i can't even describe the smell it was so disgusting and took hours of cleaning to get the stench out the funnier part was when i got home earlier that night the door to the apartment on the first floor that i had to pass to go upstairs was open and who did i see giving me the evil eye from the couch inside clifford the cat this story might not sound funny, but in real life, it was hilarious and classic. If you could have only seen me and the hot mess that I was for so long. Dave, you are so awesome and hilarious. Don't change a thing. The next time I write in, I have a good dopey John Mellencamp story for you. Thanks again for what you do, making each of my days a little brighter and for bringing the dopey. Can I pee tomorrow, Brenda? Toodles for Chris. Stay strong, dopey nation. Mel. What do you think? Yeah, classic Dopey. Thank you, Mel. I love that. Um, I love that fucking uh, story. It's classic. I appreciate the the love, and I appreciate you hitting uh, the show with a little bit of Dopey. And and you kind of put Justin in his place. You kind of undid all of the negative stuff that Justin did. Do you have any different opinion now, Justin? Now that you hear this love? No, listen. You know, I love the show. All right. Good. Um. Oh, how about this one? You ready for this one, Justin? It's a, it's a very short email. You ready? He says, hey, Dave, how do I get a T-shirt? Been listening for about two months. I was early in listening when I heard Chris died. Didn't think you could helm the cast alone, but you've proven me wrong. Keep up the good work. I work in recovery and also have about three years clean and sober. Can you believe that shit? He didn't think I could helm the cast alone. 
Well, I think he's messing. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. He means that I couldn't handle doing the podcast by myself. His last now, name. How many emails? How many voicemails do you get that say the opposite of that? That say what? Well, that say I knew you could he, do it by yourself. <laughs> no, that no. say what? That say it's not as good anymore. <laughs> oh yeah, I got that one recently. Ugh. That was terrible. Should I play that one? Yeah. Oh, I hate that one. But this is a guy named Mr. Cox. No, dude, I don't get that many like that. If I got a lot like that, do you think I wouldn't... You don't think I would tell you about each of them? No, I know you would, but but play that one. Oh, okay. Hold on for a second. All right, so this is a voicemail I got this week from this woman named Catherine, and it, it was very, very upsetting. But here we go. This is Catherine. Uh, hey, Dave. My name is, I'm going to go with Cougar on Fire, which is a name that has brought me a crazy adventure as of late. I am on the West Coast and um, five and a half months sober, alcoholic. And uh, first of all, Dave, straight up, okay? You need to hear this. Dude, you are not good alone. You're not. You're like so pinched and you just like, like, uh, I can't remember the term, but you just like fuck famous people and you're like, you don't laugh. It's not working, dude. You need like someone chill who interrupts you and gives you shit and reminds you to get out of yourself because I love this show. I've loved it forever. I can't listen anymore. You gotta bring in some loose or something. Um, and I do love you. And I know you're not gonna take that awesome, but that's good advice. And uh, so recently, totally, total by accident. Um, well, anyway, I don't know how to tell. Okay, so I love personals. I always have. Undergrad, want to do sociology. So I accidentally joined uh, Seeking Arrangements, the like uh, hooker site not knowing what it was, and I made my um, user login really fun, and I swear to God, in the last two weeks, I've become India's number one pimp, and I'm the uh, producer of a porn for a private client where he gets to star in it. I am a professor and a business consultant at places like Nike, but now, India's number one pump pimp, sober, and porn producer. Who knew? Don't put that online. I will find you someone chill. Oh, I have a good guy in California. Okay, you gotta chill. All right, Cougar on Fire. That fucking... Now that I listened to the voicemail a week later, I don't know why it got me so upset because she, she seems pretty insane out of her mind. <laughs> I like that one. It's pretty funny. What do you like about it? What is she talking about? India's number one... Did she India's number one pimp? No, but you know, the truth is that I wrote her after that, and she wrote me back, and now she wants to sell ads for Dopey. It turns out like that she rubs everybody the wrong way, and nobody wants to talk to her, because she's like mean, you know what I mean? Because she obviously loves the show. She sounded pretty nice. Dude, you're such a dick, you don't even know what nice sounds like. <laughs> what do you have to say? I mean, I don't even know. Like she, she sounded like she wanted to offer criticism in a nice way. Dude, she said I sucked and I sounded pinched. But then she said that she loved the show. 
Wow, what's not to love? I'm gonna let's get to another real voicemail here. We're gonna play another dopey voicemail, okay? Do you mean I have nothing else to say about her? I think that Cougar on Fire is about to step in as a great friend of the show. So, like, what do you guys think about Cougar on Fire? You know, I, I was listening. I mean, it's it's tough, you know, because it's like with Chris, it's not like I chose to go in a different direction. You know, I wasn't like, sorry, Chris. It's not working. I want to do a show by myself, you know, with interviews. It was like, no, fucking Chris died out of nowhere. And, and you know, the show had to keep going. So that's why the show is the way it is. Uh, it was not a choice. It was a phenomenon based on a terrible tragedy. You know what I mean to say to that? No, it's true. And I think I did a fucking good job considering the situation. You know, I think you did. I think you did a fantastic job. Oh, now you're trying to make me feel better. All right, hold on, hold on. I've gotten so many fucking voicemails, Justin, um, and uh, you know, I have this voicemail from this woman named Christina who always used to listen to the show, and I told her that I was going to play it, and I haven't played it. And Christina, I'm not going to play it now because uh, I promised this other guy, this crazy Twitter guy. Um, his name is Animistic Graves. And um, I'm going to play his voicemail because I promised him. Christina, I'm going to play you next time. Christina and Chris were pretty tight. Um, and she actually sent in the voicemail before he died. So um, I'm excited to get to that. But this is Animistic. What is an Animistic Grave? Do you know what that means, Justin? Animistic? Yeah. I assume that refers to animism. What is that? Well, it's some kind of, uh, well, I I associate that with sort of Africa before European colonization, like a religion of um, spirits. uh, Animism? Spirits inhabit, you know, all of the earth kind of thing. And that's animism? Yes. All right. Well, here's animistic graves. You ready? Yes. Just what do you think about this Jeopardy champion? You think you'd do good on Jeopardy? You seem like you know a lot of stuff. Yeah, I actually watched it the other day, and I was playing along with him, and I was getting all the answers. But I, I think someone told me that Jeopardy is not about knowing the answers because all the people know the answers. It's about hitting the button before everyone else. I think you would fold under the pressure, frankly. I'm not sure. Well, <laughs> listen, I think I'm just as smart as that guy, but I think that the button-pressing thing... I I don't know how I would do. I don't know. All right, I think I think eventually you're going to have to play a little round. Of course, of, of course, Peter Loshak would beat both of us. Well, he, I mean, like I would not stand a chance. I like try to play along, and I'm trying to impress my family, and I don't know anything. Um, hold on, here's Animistic Graves. I have a short story. One of my first times using alcohol drugs was 12. I would take my dad's Jim Beam. And mix it with Dr. Pepper. At age 15, I remember getting three boxes of all trams. I think there was like 24 in a pack for my friend. His mom died of cancer, as we later discovered. His dad kept all her pills in the attic. What an idiot, in retrospect. But for us, we scored the mother load. Must have been thousands of pills. My friend filled a whole garbage bag full of them. And that was his traveling bag. 
I don't even know what he kept for his home stash. Bikes, perks, oxys, tranquilizers, muscle relaxers, barbiturates, those blue and yellow pills. Anyway, I woke up for school that day at my parents' house, and my friend picked me up. He gave me three boxes of all trams, 10 perks, and two oxy 20 milligrams for free. I did the all trams and perks throughout the day. I was so fucked up, I slept through two periods in the same class before they sent me home. I went home feeling unwell. (laughs) Uh, Oh my gosh. I, I snorted some oxy. I took one perk, stole a beer while my mom was cooking supper. Next thing I know, I woke in the hospital. My mother found me face first puking. And if she hadn't found me so quick, I probably would have choked on my own puke, as EMT told the doctor later. I woke up in the hospital. I told the doctor or nurse, I really have to piss. Each time I got out of bed to go to the bathroom, I just swayed above the toilet, not being able to go. And this happened like like four times. Finally, doctor said, all trims have fucked your urinary tract up. We need to stick a catheter in you so you can pee. Ah, fuck, I said. So they did that, and I was able to finally piss. I came into school the next day. Everyone asked, why did you go home so early yesterday? Were you sick? Yes, I replied. I'm okay now. It's nothing contagious. A couple months later, I sniffed heroin after my friend's limitless supply of oxy 80s, 40s, 20s, and 10s ran out. And they were the original ones, too, where you just basically sucked off the coating, and then you could, you know, you just had an instant release. So so we had our friend um, Smack... Yeah, that was his nickname. I think because he used to eat the cereal, but he did become a junkie, so the name fit. He was a couple years older than us. He never had much money, so he just ate the cereal without milk. Uh, So he caught for us. He took some out of the bags and definitely pinched it, but we got so high, we drove around in my friend's red blazer, blasting Dead Kennedys and Alice in Chains' Dirt album. We drove around and stopped every 20 feet to open our doors and puke. You could say that that would start our need to use more and more. To this day, if I hear the word catheter, my dick gets a pain (laughs) and I I shiver. I don't like it. I didn't learn my lesson. I used straight heroin, crack, coke, special K, acid, marijuana, booze, shrooms, GHB from ages 16 to 31. <clears throat> then I, um, I got on methadone. I was kicked out of the program, cold kicked it sober from the methadone for like six months, but a heavy clonopin habit. And I, I wasn't even using heroin. And uh, now I'm on Suboxone again. Um, I was snorting, and then I was finally shooting all over again. Uh, basically, I had surgery, and the doctors gave me oxys, and uh, well, it started it all over. Uh, so I was clean for four years, and then, um, yeah, basically just fucked.
fucked up. So um, I just uh, I just want to say your show helps break the stigma of being a junkie. It uh, it seems like every race, religion, culture, etc. gets the accepted. Yeah, but being a junkie is still equated to you're you're a piece of fucking shit. At least in the rural hills of PA, you are looked at as a scum of the earth. I hope someday that changes, but for now, stay strong, dopey nation, and stay sober, because some of us aren't. My sober is suboxone, uh, occasional drinking, um, Xanax, and sometimes weed. My fucked up is heroin, fent, coke, and Xannies. One will kill me quicker, but in the end, I will die, and I don't want to die. I wanted to have fun at first. The fun turns into a nightmare while you're sleepwalking through the waking life. Alive, but dead inside. I know this drug heroin. It took a piece of me. I may have won some ground now, but it will forever be catapulting balls of black tar through my defenses. It's on fire, too. Don't stand too close, Dopey Nation. You may inhale too much to let the enemy sneak past you. Love you, Dave. Rest in peace, Chris. Finally emailed the story. It's my first experience with drugs, so I figured I'd start here. They just get crazier after that. Uh, I got away from the heroin, but I don't think I survived. That's a weird ending, right, Chess? I thought it was good. No, I thought it was great, and uh, and I love this guy. I love the the dopey Twitter group. The dopey Twitter group. It's like these guys are like a nice supportive bunch. Um, and this guy is very active on Twitter, and he has a lot of shit going on. You know, he has a daughter, and he has a, an ex who's like still addicted, and it's a whole story. But I, I like that voicemail a lot. So thank you, Animistic Graves. What do you say? And then, and then top, that top five. Oh yeah, and then that cougar on fire. Um, also, when I wrote back and I said I don't even do the show alone, she's like, she thought I was. I, you know, she doesn't even know that we have guests every episode. I've never done a show alone, by the way. No. So, I like Cougar on Fire though. I think she's going through something, and I love Animistic Graves. And uh, and thank you for coming on, Justin. Even though you were incredibly negative, you're a, you're a great a great source of joy in my life, and I and I'm very happy to have you as a friend. Same to you. Same to you. You're just a cold fucking fish, man. Same to you. Oh yeah, yeah. Anyway, so thank you, Dopey Nation. Uh, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, fucking Facebook. You know, Justin doesn't do any of that stuff. Justin doesn't do any social media. That's one of the the many reasons Justin is better than you or I. Um, but there's a lot of other reasons why he's worse. Actually, better than you or me, Dave. Really? Yeah. It's not That'd you or I. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, fuck you. And um, stay strong, Dopey Nation. And fucking toodles for Chris. And uh, take care of yourselves, guys. You want to say goodbye? But I'm going to end it with uh, this version of Good So Bad by Wusta. You want to hear it, Justin? Yeah, yeah, I'd like to hear it. Do you want to say goodbye nicely to the Dopey Nation? Goodbye, Dopey Nation. Stay strong. You don't want to say toodles for Chris? Toodles for Chris. All right. All right, thanks, Justin. Here's Wusta's Good So Bad.
bad Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good, so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And I wanna take a ride up in the sky Watch the airplane just pass me by And I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive So good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good, so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had. And my shadows getting smaller, smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Shadows getting smaller and smaller. City far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad. I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and these suckers make me mad, and I want to call my dad, and it's all I ever had.